Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined again this week by Tom Kennett. This week, the film we're going to be getting into is 2023's Air. 1984 has been a tough year. Our sales are down, our growth is down. Michael Jordan is the player we've been waiting for. He's going to change the world. I'm going to build a shoe line around just him. There's nothing cool about Nike. He doesn't even want to meet if we're going to make it, we got to take risks. You have our attention. You got a name for it? Air Jordan. I don't know. Seriously? Uh, maybe it'll grow on me. Air. Rated R. Exclusively in theaters April 5th. Almost certainly the closest we've ever covered a film to its release date. Definitely. We both watched it at the cinema together. April, this came out. It feels a lot longer ago. I don't know if it feels that way to you. Nothing. That's yeah. In my mind's eye, I was thinking that sort of range. How uh, are we doing today? Excellent. Um, if you've been listening to each pod sort of like consecutively, <laughs> credit where due, you've got two of us uh, again. Yeah. Um, next week could be the return of Keenan, so you know. Uh, and that's welcome break for people. that. And then at the same time, I think we. I think unless anything changed, I think we're doing two pods next week. I was going to say, because the deadline day. Transfer deadline so, uh, day. So they better reward us with a good one. Maybe I'll get the Papa John's in. Got a feeling it might not be good for me. Yeah. <laughs> got a feeling that deadline day could be a rough one for me. <laughs> well, if, you, if you're lucky, it's a quiet one. <laughs> That's Which the best is a case flip scenario. from like Monday, where if I told you it was a busy deadline day for you, you'd have gone, oh, it's good. good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's off. Oh, no. A little bit like a time we watched a deadline day together where you were just praying that Liverpool didn't sign Fear Walker off you. <laughs> yeah, that weird thing where Brendan in a press conference had like a wry smile when asked about Fear Walker. Well, <laughs> there was one, the Wenger one, where he smiled when we get in Ertzil and he says, I think we might have something for you tomorrow. That's and then just any time he smirked in a press conference after that, it's like, we're definitely getting someone. <laughs> Wenger's done it again. And it was like, no, I haven't got any money to spend again. <laughs> This film follows the history of sports marketing executive Sonny Vaccaro and how he led Nike in its pursuit of the greatest athlete in the history of basketball, Michael Jordan. You may have seen these as we're so close to the time, but what do you think the critics thought of this? Got to be a smash, surely. A fact-based drama that no one will dunk on. Air aims to dramatise events that change the sports world forever and hits almost nothing but net. Ben Affleck and a terrific cast score with Air, which is much more entertaining than any movie about a long-ago business deal has any right to be. The goal of Air is to provide audiences an enjoyable two hours watching Damon, Affleck and co. crack wise on screen while telling a feel-good story. By that metric, Air is a slam dunk. In a world full of agents, marketing techniques, reputations and money to be made, Air understands all the many players it took to make Nike an iconic brand associated with sports. With its brisk pace, brilliant performances and outright fun screenplay, Air instantly shoots to the top of the most rewatchable films of the year. And I do think that was pretty much the first thing we said when leaving the cinema. Yeah, since you couldn't wait to watch again. And I did put off watching it for a while because I wanted it to be fresher when I did. 
a real treat sticking it on last night. It felt like the right sort of timing, didn't it? That's why when you said about how long ago it was, in my mind, it was, it was that sort of range where I thought, yeah, I've just given this enough sort of time before I can go back to it and still enjoy it. And it's a lot of things you'd still sort of forgotten and a lot of great lines in there that weren't, uh, that were fresh and you didn't just go, oh, I remember seeing that. Yeah, I think if this came out last year, it would be my undisputed favourite film of the year. Tough year. Last year was, yeah, a really, really rough year. This year, I mean, there's like four or five films that I could kind of shuffle around as in depending how I feel. Like John Wick 4, Oppenheimer, you want to see Into the Spider-Verse, Air, and Mission Impossible. Yeah. Yeah, Mission Impossible really exceeded my expectations. Yeah, that's a strong... And then even Guardians of the Galaxy was a return to form for Marvel... No Hard Feelings was what it was supposed to be. Really good for what it was, yeah. I enjoyed Scream. I know that got some mixed reviews. Have you seen Blackberry? I'm going to mention, reference that today. No, no, you told me I should. Yeah, it, while you're kind of in the spirit of this film, yeah. it's kind of, and again, you'll know roughly the way things went. If you channel basically this film and all of the feel-good that it brings... Blackberry's like inverting that social network almost. <laughs> so. Yeah, so I mean, we all there was a time literally where everyone had a Blackberry. Hmm. Now, <laughs> and it's kind of yeah, yeah going yeah. down that way. And even I watched Past Lives. Have you seen that? No, romantic drama. So right up your street, actually. Nice. Um, Korean American film. When Dungeons and Dragons wasn't was good. When I saw that being billed as a sleeper, I thought. It might just be it might just be one of them years. Asteroid Luther. City, which a lot of people liked. Yeah. Was, thought it was okay. Luther probably the film I've disliked the most this year. Disliked? I was most disappointed by. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm more I'm always good, but I'm more intrigued by Strays now that I've seen it's by the creators of Cocaine Bear. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that, no. I saw on Roger Ebert's website, that's three out of four stars for Strays, which I was not expecting. So okay. I may have to find the time to uh, to give that a watch. Laying this film out for you, it's the story of how Michael Jordan came to be signed by, I'm going to keep saying Nike because I've said that for 29 years. Do you say Nike or do you say Nike? I thought it was Nike until watching this. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever said Nike no. until it just left my mouth now. Yeah. So... This film, yeah, Michael Jordan to Nike, and we're not going to look at any of his career at all. We're not we'll see him. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to see him. We're going to sit around with characters that we're almost entirely unaware of, no basketball at all, and it's kind of a boardroom hangout film. I think we were both sceptical going in because the cast was there, the idea was there, and it was just... I think we looked at each other and we may even said to each other halfway through please stick the land in here because yeah you the the energy in the cinema was okay this is this is really good yeah almost like this is special which for a film of this thing you go well it can't be that special so, but it's it's incredible it, with this how not a lot that they've got some basically like raw materials that have made such a great film first question I was going to ask you why does this film work it is the the chemistry and the flow of it, isn't it? It's kind of the secret to any, and you are right. Actually, a boardroom hangout is probably a good way of putting it because it is. It does have the feel of a hangout film, 
whilst also having a almost a, the underdog story is wrong, but someone a success story that you could never have like imagined. Even um, Sonny wouldn't have believed it would have gone as well as it would have done. Uh, so you kind of got all of those ingredients in there. My concern going in, I thought like this is a film that me and you might like, but most people are going to go, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> yeah. Whereas I would say almost anybody could watch this and enjoy it. I've not watched. Apparently, that Cheetos film is really good as well. Maybe not really. It's, it's good. Yeah, which yeah. you would not have uh, expected. No, I certainly wouldn't. Have. Probably get this out of the way first. We're not going to pick apart the true story of this as to how much of it was fact, how much of it was fiction. A couple of little bits that are interesting, but I think if we spent this doing a Nike history lesson, we're probably not the best people equipped to do that. So we're going to talk about the film that there is. I have read Phil Knight's book though. I got the audio book for that Hmm. a while back in, much like others that have put me off. I know it's going to be really good. But the narrator was just too it's much. Killer that, yeah. yeah. It wasn't it? Wasn't bad. Not normally my type of book necessarily, but I enjoyed it. I thought he was pretty good as far as that sort of person can come across. There's a fair bit of honesty in there, I think. Well, so something I was going to reference later. There's one page that mentions Sonny Vaccaro in the entire shoe dog book yeah yeah I was so that's where there's some uh, some dispute in this there's certainly because he's talking about the whole building of his company isn't he so the the recruitment of Michael Jordan and stuff doesn't get the airtime that you might expect but in a film like this (laughs) you've kind of got to flesh it out a lot more yeah so you mentioned underdog and you weren't sure it was it was marketed as an underdog story, which mm. is incredible. And we'll get to that because any creator that can bill Nike as an underdog and have us on board, on board with it is doing a very good job. Sure. This film is essentially for people that like films about like process, people that are good at their jobs, because if this was just people that were faltering the whole way through, it's a very different film and equally entertaining. And you just get enthralled into parts of this that you had no idea would be entertaining at all. Yeah. The dialogue is just money, isn't it, throughout? We'll get into. But it's also a story like all these guys are decent at their jobs, but have basically no recognition until this point. You know, like Sonny, they're saying how good he is at sporting talent, how well he knows the game. And yet, he needed something like this to basically come to prominence. Not saying he's obviously of no note because each of them have done something in there. Certainly, um, Chris Tucker's character, for example, is already is already established, but not anything along this lines. And this is the breakout for basically all of them. And that's a pretty cool thing to see. Well, something that I knew about Sonny beforehand, and it's really glossed over in the film, is that he had the idea of essentially giving the shoes to the college teams and marketing themselves that way. And it's said in here, you know, you're giving profits away. That's one of the most significant things in the history of college basketball. And the game that's created to get all the prospects together. And so he was a guy that kind of just floated around and he was known, he would be at all the camps and all of these things. And I watched an interview with him today while I was on my way home 
he isn't what Matt Damon is, <laughs> but this film works because Matt Damon is doing what Matt Damon does best. Affleck is doing what Affleck does best. Jason Bateman might be doing the most Jason Bateman performance of all time. He really is. Chris Tucker, they let him almost just write his character entirely himself. He was cooking. The whole way. Matt Damon says he mourned when they wrapped shooting for this film. He said it's the best time he's ever had on a film set. And if you ask any of them, they all say that. I've watched so many Damon and Affleck interviews this week. And Affleck basically says... He's quite resentful now because he says for 20 years, yeah, people told him, you two can't keep working together because you're just going to be lumped together. And he said, they got to the age they are now and they did The Last Duel, which I've seen some clips of and I probably should watch it. I'm steering clear because I feel I know the, how I'll feel about it. He said, they came off that and they had such a good time. And he was like, why aren't we why doing we this? not just yeah. keep working together? I've seen interviews with him before where he said he, when he was younger, and probably right, so he felt he had to chase a certain dream and a certain sort of profile of films. Uh, and he kind of says, now I can just enjoy myself rather than trying to chase this ghost. The period of which Hollywood media had convinced everyone that Ben Affleck was an asshole, is in, he's one of the most enjoyable people to listen to yeah, in in all of Hollywood, and the passion that comes out of him when he's talking about film itself, it's him and him and Damon. One day they probably will have a podcast, and it's probably going to be one of the best that you can ever have. I watched a twenty minute one of them just going through the roles they've played together. Yeah, and they're just so good, and so getting them together in this film. That in itself was enough. I think I sent the trailer to Keenan. I may have sent the trailer to you at the time and like, okay, this is... African Yeah, Damon. as you yeah. said, looks like it is a film made for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm glad it, I'm glad they've all said what a good time they had as well. It absolutely comes across and each of them play off each other so well as well. You know, obviously the Damon and Affleck one, but even if, if you were to change this and go, right, Damon and Chris Tucker... You're gonna go. You're gonna cook. Damon and Bateman. You're gonna go. You're gonna cook. Him and Marlon Wayans. Marlon Wayans isn't it that much. Even their scene is just electric. So it's. I'm glad they all enjoyed it and they all are decent guys. Rather than you know, it's always a bit heartbreaking if you love them all and then oh by the way this guy's actually a bit of a prick. Yeah, I know these guys that we may love more or equally as some of the characters in this, but I was hearing Damon talk about oceans today. And he said, the real beauty of that was there was no one having to carry the film because everyone there was used to carrying film. And he said how fun that was. He said people would sarcastically clap the last person to set because, you know, they're the movie star on this. And (laughs) this was like a comedy oceans with the cast that they've assembled here. Yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll get on to Viola, Viola Davis because she gives the film... I would say a layer of credibility on top of it just being this kind of hangout film. But yeah. Yeah, it, it's so good. Keenan messaged me pretty much as soon as we left the cinema and he said, how was it? And I said, I'm hesitant to say anything because I don't want to set the expectation so high that it can't possibly reach it. And he waited for Hit to Hit Prime and he texted me after saying, oh, I fucking loved it. Yeah, like, yeah, so good. 
I think Sean may have watched it at the cinema. I think he had the same reaction. Cam, I know, watched it at the cinema, had the same reaction. Connor texted me last night saying, surely that's not, this isn't the first time you've watched Air. I said, no, he's like, oh, amazing, isn't it? It's, mm. I've not really heard a bad word said about it other than people that are critics and so are kind of By nature, leveling some things. Something. You know, this could, have been a, this could have been done better, maybe the way they presented this and so on, but there was nothing I came out of the cinema even saying. I wasn't when, sure about that. When you see people who don't really have any interest in like basketball even, for example, you go, that's a pretty special film because whilst it's not exactly heavily basketball-based or whatever, you would think I've got to have some background level of interest in this and to not have and to still bring an entire audience in is impressive yeah I texted someone I can't think who it was I think it was Cam because Cam asked me how it was and I said I feel like you're going to like it more because there's certain things in there that like a Disney film for kids there's some jokes that are layered in there that you don't have to get these the adults this is literally for that few people that get it no one wants to see Barkley on TV yeah it's basically a turn to the camera isn't it like a yeah, and there's enough there. And I think I said this about Primal Fear last week. Obviously, this isn't the case. But each one of those jokes, I felt like... I felt quite special for, for getting it kind of in a way. But like, not <laughs> you're everyone in, you're here, in on the joke. Yeah, yeah, not everyone in here. Yeah. Get, this is... Thank you. Thank you for that. And yeah, they, <laughs> they do it so well. We'll get on to that scene because I, I think that is my favourite scene there in the film. It's very good seeing these people work together. 1984, I was in immediately when this montage hit at the start. It couldn't be more 1984 in the way we start this. We It's like everything that we see to put us, if you didn't know, this is where we are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we didn't really need almost a date being put up. I, I particularly liked seeing uh, Beverly Hills Cop in the... Yeah in yeah, the montage agreed. at the start and there, there's so many bits I watched that a couple of times this week just because it's a it's a fun bit there's the like the where's the beef ad in there you got Cabbage Patch Kids Hulk Hogan's in there uh, President Reagan Princess Diana's there looking not very chirpy <laughs> and they keep you in the time all the way through there's a couple of times where I was looking yesterday I was just looking for things and they'll put like a Rubik's, a Rubik's cube on the desk for no real reason other than to just, you know, this is, <laughs> this this is, is where we are. In. One of the desks has Trivial Pursuit cards on there. And it's just all of these things in, I think I said to you when we came out the cinema, I loved when they go into the 7-Eleven and there's all the old brands and the, the merchandising and the, everything is just so good. And that's before we even get into the soundtrack because... Yeah, once blister and the sun drops, you know you're in for a... To start you off, you know you're in I for I think a- I sent you the next day a Spotify playlist and you were like, yeah, I'm already listening. I'm already <laughs> listening to it. Blister in the sun is the one that stood out for me at the time. I feel like that should be an alarm clock. That's like a nice you one. Can't you can't not feel good when no. you start hearing that. You are right. Those little things do make such a difference that you probably don't even think about until we do something like this. Like you said, the the branding in the shops. I even love a film of a certain age, eight is into the night is sometimes even later, where mobile phones obviously aren't a thing, and so you're just seeing just a massive difference in dynamic that has to do like you know you having to go to a payphone to do things, calling that home number. I love 
the different dynamics of that causes. Part of me does like kind of think, I wish we could kind of go back to that, but also knowing that I'm someone who's late to absolutely everything. So I would probably never be able to do anything. <laughs> Everyone would just, well, he's not coming today, so he's gone. Looking at the soundtrack, one of the criticisms from some people was that it was too in-your-face 80s, but that was one of the things I loved about it was that with the soundtrack. Affleck actually, I don't think they were trying to be subtle with it. Let's no, face it. No, Affleck says he didn't get all of the music he wanted. There was two tracks he missed out on that would have taken the film over budget. He wanted Duran Duran in there and the Eurythmics. That's okay. I can I can live with missing out on both those. You've got Violent Femmes in there, Dire Straits, Cindy Lauper. Time after time is that's such a banger. I've that could be the best use in in the film. I think maybe. And then Ario Speedwagon, which reminds me of I mentioned South Park on Monday, the South Park episode where um, Ike is uh, sleeping with his teacher. <laughs> and they keep playing I'm going to keep on loving you I think they play it when she jumps off the building but it, I think it's playing on a radio where Ike has a snorkel on and he's going down on his teacher in the bath and he's like in kindergarten <laughs> and it's when Carmen is Dog the Bounty Hunter and Kenny has um, Dog the Bounty Hunter in the hood is just his wife's tits like a cleavage is in the hood <laughs> It's unbelievable. It's, it's probably my favourite South Park episode ever. <laughs> it's just, it's so good. Cartman is a hall monitor and he's tasing people. <laughs> unbelievable. Ike is pissed off because Kyle is telling people that I shouldn't be sleeping with his teacher and he's not what I want. <laughs> Let my shoot his shot. Yes. <laughs> so good Let, let's talk about Matt Damon we spoke about him last week and then I re- realised part way through hang on a minute let's not get too far into this conversation because we're doing a Damon film next week sure he stars as Sonny Vicara as we've said he's trying to steer Michael Jordan away from Converse and Adidas he's the guy that the only guy in the film that can really speak truth to power and they give us what we want to see. We want to see Damon and Affleck slick talking each other, basically. Even the little things like him preempting that Knight is going to come with uh, the Buddhist stuff, and he's like, you know, you can't have more money. And it's just, as as we said, they're doing what they do best, and yeah, every interaction they have is is great. Yeah, they obviously bounce off each other as characters brilliantly, anyway, but. The fact that sort of Affleck's dialing it up with the Phil Knight, the eccentricities that he's got, uh, I'd be interested to see how Phil Knight feels about his portrayal in it because it does make him look a bit of a mug, whilst also obviously ultimately doing the right thing and seeming very likeable. So it's an interesting sort of juxtaposition they did there, whereas Damon is obviously the audience where we're pushing for, come on, you must be able to see this thing. When we spoke to David Dobkin, he was speaking about how when he would go to cut and he would look and you would, I think, believe he said it about Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson would always have a reaction that you could cut to when you're piecing these things together. And Affleck said he didn't realise the true greatness of Matt Damon until it came to being on the cutting room floor. And he said he just gives you so much to work with at all times. He really does feel every line of dialogue and he believes in every single line of dialogue and the way he speaks about Damon is really nice to hear. That must be 
one of the best stories in Hollywood, the fact they met each other at 10, year, 10 and 8 years old, yeah. went to the same school together, came into the business together, looked out for each other the whole way through. Didn't shit on each other and f- no. fall out or whatever. And yeah, that's one of the things with Affleck as well. You are right in a that kind of building of him as an arsehole. When you listen to him talk, there's like obviously an intelligence to it, but also a genuine like humility. Sometimes when like someone famous talks, they kind of they're kind of trying to sell you how humble they are. Whereas Affleck isn't. He genuinely is just a humble guy and he'll put he's not worried about putting someone over the top. And obviously in the case of Damon, it's his best mate, so pretty easy to do, but he's done it with various others. Well Fincher cast him in Gone Girl because of the way the media reported on him and he said he didn't even have to build the character. People believed what they believed about Affleck anyway, yeah, and it yeah. fits straight into what they're doing with Gone Girl. Hmm. Gone Girl comes out and is a massive success in, what, two years prior, he's got Argo, and he still goes down from that. Yeah. And he kind of... I feel in recent times, we've become more aware of what the media are like. like we would see pictures growing up of a celebrity swearing into a camera, and now that we're older, you realise that there's probably a paparazzi a, yeah, me- yeah. a centimetre from their face and they're just shoving them out of the way. Like Affleck, he's pictured just like smoking, basically like, can you leave me alone? I mean, it has become a very of, useful meme. Yeah, and we're quite <laughs> self-aware on that now. And anyone that, I mean, he really is. Like, going from Ana de Armas to Jennifer Lopez is a whole thing in itself. <laughs> Literally did that. Don't go feeling too sorry for him, yeah. That deep water film, which I've not seen, that is basically, I think, him just cucking out of the armas the entire film. <laughs> and they broke up like immediately after. And Amazon had this film and they couldn't put together the press tour because they Jeez. just wouldn't be with each other. And eventually they shove it out because the entire building of this film is, let's see if they really did hate each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now he's got, I think he's directing another film and Jennifer Lopez in the lead role. Careful, might not go so well. He insists she's not just doing him a favour. It's not nepotism. Damon wore a fat suit for this to uh, make him look overweight. Not enough commitment to the role when people have to put on weight. I thought, yeah, I thought he could have picked out, but he wasn't like extraordinarily fat either. He said he the wa- gags about his way throughout. It's just incredible. <laughs> Everyone's just at him. He said he watched it with his wife, who knew near nothing about the film, basically. And he said, "Do you like it?" And she said, "I loved it, but you don't like shit." <laughs> yeah, there's a point in film. I know it's Falk that says it to him. There seems to be a certain way that you can rev up calling someone a fat fuck, and it's done to very good effect in this film. <laughs> I mean, his, we spoke about chemistry, his and Falk, basically, mind, is only over a phone. How do they have such great back and forth yeah. chemistry? It's so good. One of the best things with Damon, and it's a nice contrast with Affleck, is that he probably doesn't seem like he takes himself too seriously. He takes each role incredibly seriously, but every interview of him, it seems like chilled out guy who could have a laugh about it. By contrast, Affleck seems a little bit more intense. But then... Damon's kind of had the dream career in a way where he hasn't had the scrutiny that a lot of other guys have had. And so he's been allowed to kind of do his thing, whereby Affleck's had a lot more scrutiny and had a much tougher time of it and kind of suffered as a result, you feel. Yeah, he's got in 
He's got a he's got a baby face, which helps. I've got to think the friendship they have. He's probably offered to defend Affleck publicly. I've got I've got to think, and Affleck's you don't need to do that kind of thing because mm. the amount of scrutiny he's had for them to be that close and be in the business together, there must have been some uh, yeah. conversation to yeah. it and handled it the best way because. Affleck's probably saying, you know, don't drag yourself down with me and I'll be all right. <laughs> all you have to do is not shit on him as his mate. Don't, you don't have to, there's not a lot Damon can do. Well, him being there probably has helped Affleck a lot as well, just in terms of bringing him in, in showing that side of him. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's definitely been. Tough question here that I'll ask you any second. So having the back of your mind, I'm going to ask your top three Damon roles. <sighs> He's very good in this and he kind of plays the ideal character for him in that he's this brilliant but slightly flawed person and the rest of the people in the film only seem to recognise his flaws until the end of the film, basically. Yeah, he's almost like a bit of a a hidden gem, isn't he? A bit of an unpolished diamond. And also one of the best things is he's kind of stuck with a group of people that are average on the whole. A lot of like, people in suits that don't have either interest or knowledge on this sport that they're sort of supposed to be supposed to be heading up the basketball department and none of them know anything. One of them doesn't know when, where Gonzaga is. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's yeah. pretty significant and he's kind of pulling his hair out going, I'm basically doing all this and none of you even seem to care. For that bit, Bateman is brilliant as a guy who nearly cares about his job. <laughs> yeah. In the early parts of the film, you're like, kind of wants to care, but doesn't really kind of Which, just wants yeah, to pick the up the page. saying, I'm going to go take a shit. <laughs> that meeting's so good. If or How about if I, I'll give you some roles and you tell me top three, yes or no? Off the bat, without thinking, I will tell you, I've, I'm thinking Born and The Departed. Okay. The Departed shows what a great asshole character he can be, but go on, carry on. Rounders? Oh. I'm thinking of rewatching Rounders Star. I'm torn between Rounders and American Pie. One of the two, very different films. I'm just yeah. thinking about both today. My, the thing with Rounders, I'll say with Damon the same thing I would say um, with Ed Norton, just to a different degree. It could be in my top three favourite films with them in, but I can't give it their top three favourite role. Good War Hunting? Yeah, it has to be. Might, might have to do an episode on that. I thought I've been thinking about that since I watched it. I can't believe it took so long, to be yeah, fair. so good. I thought... No, I was going to say, I thought it was a far more depressing film. It's quite a depressing yeah. film, but it ends nicely. Yeah. The Departed, we've mentioned. Born, we've mentioned. Oceans? Yeah, but he's not fully allowed to cook because of the cast, I guess. I'm in on Oceans. I'm not in You're not on, a big Oceans, Oceans guy. You're a bit late to watching Oceans. Yeah, right? very. Yeah. Watch it for the first time for the pod. Saving Private Ryan? Can't be quite top three, I don't think. Doesn't really get into it till, you know. <laughs> met, he met Spielberg on the set of Good Will Hunting. Came off the set of Good Will Hunting. Robin Williams basically just took him and Affleck and was like, I'm going to have dinner with Spielberg. Do you want to come with me? Wow. Took them with him. Spielberg says, I recognise you from somewhere. And it was from some film that he'd done where he played a heroin addict years before. And Spielberg says he'd said to his wife at the time of watching it, that's the kind of guy that I want for Private Ryan, but he's too skinny. He'd lost 40 pounds for that role. So when he met him on, on while filming Good Will Hunting, he was like, oh, 
you're now like a normal size again. It's perfect. And <laughs> basically just gave him gave him the role. So he says Robin Williams didn't necessarily get him the role because he'd sent a tape and he'd done all of this stuff. But if he hadn't taken him to see him, he would have just been overlooked. So Blimey. They say Robin Williams would just do, anytime people started flagging on the set there, he would just do like a five-minute stand-up routine, get everyone back going, and then they just kick on again and, and start rolling. Yeah, pretty incredible bloke. Euro trip. <laughs> so good. Inter- Are you an Interstellar guy? That is a great film, actually. Yeah, I mean he's an asshole in that, obviously. So yes, yes. I can't. I, I would still have the Departed over his guy in the Departed. Over the Departed is my favourite Damon role. Have you seen The Martian? Yeah, yeah, I have. I was, Good I, film I was, as well. I was late to that. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says he he'd done Interstellar. It hadn't come out yet. And he got a phone call from Ridley Scott basically to say, come on, why have you not signed on yet? And he's like, well, I've just done this other space film and, you know, I was alone on a planet there. Is that Ridley Scott? He's who gives a fuck? <laughs> and he was like, okay, <laughs> sound. Like, I'll do it. And he says, very happy he did, obviously. In my mind, that Sandra Bullock film in space had come out around a similar time, but I could be totally off on that. Ish. And that was one that I've referenced with Kieran before. Perfect cinema film would have been for me useless outside of it right it, it was a, it was a pure experience film okay. in, in 3d and you just had so many shots where they peeled it right back and you were just looking at space basically and it was a 3d film that was shot in 3d so you had everything there and her and george clooney basically yeah yeah but yeah really good experience in 3d i've not thought Probably about it since. Go back to yeah. the rewatch now I've not asked you about him in Oppenheimer. He's great in that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's great in this as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's great in everything, <laughs> isn't he? Yeah. It's when you reel them off, it is like, Jesus, I've got yeah. a bit of top reading. Yeah, I would go, Good World Hunting obviously has to be uh, Departed because it shares the other side to him. And Born, I'll go for the first Born film, Identity as well. I think that's the best one. When... I was thinking about this earlier. I thought Round is Good Will Hunting the Departed, but then I hadn't listed off everything else yet at that point. So it feels rashly even Interstellar off. I mean, yeah, that was a great film. Inter- Interstellar. Didn't expect to, I would really particularly like that either. I, I think it was great. I think his performance would stand out more if we didn't know what a cretin he could be from The Departed. Yeah, that, that's it. Him in The Departed might be the most I've ever hated a character. You genuinely, yeah, you really do. He's, he has an incredible ability to, a guy who's very likable, suddenly you can have like, oh, that's a smarmy face. I could do a slap in that face. And this isn't me, this isn't you me saying this. DiCaprio calling him a rat fuck is <laughs> top three movie quotes of all time for me. Up there with Finch saying, "Don't touch me while I'm tantric," and I don't, I don't, I don't know what the other would be. <laughs> but it feels like there's probably has to be another in there, in there with them. <laughs> probably something for Superbad. Um, and not only is this a fun basketball movie it's a fun hangout movie we get some great gambling quotes in this as well I was about to say I mean opening up basically with him doing a placing a bet <laughs> and doing it the old fashioned way is just such an incredible way to start with the fre- I'm so pumped for him with the frequency that basketball's on if we if we had it on our time every night 
racking up bet builders on overs for points. <laughs> Dangerous game. Yeah, yeah. I'd have no money left by week two of the month. They wouldn't be getting through a month's salary. Just because it's losing doesn't mean it's not a good bet. That, I mean... If you have to come to best quotes, that has to seal it. Yeah. Just because it lost doesn't mean it wasn't a good bet. How many times have we all said that? <laughs> um, James Milner to get booked against Crystal Palace at fullback. It was a great bet. <laughs> it was a Look, great bet. Just because it lost. The perspective of this film. So the script was written by Alex Convery. I don't know if you know this story. He was kind of a middling script writer. Got no TV film credits to his name. And during lockdown, he watched The Last Dance. He saw the three-minute part in episode five about this whole story. And he said he just couldn't believe that he said, that's a film right there, basically, to himself. It helps that he'd been a showrunner on the 30 for 30 episode called Soul Man, which was solely about Sonny Vaccaro. And because of this, he'd seen all this archive footage during the editorial process. He said he just liked the story assumed someone would have done something on this already, searched and searched and searched, found nothing. And so it was kind of his, I thought about giving up, let's give this another shot. And Blimey, yeah, I didn't know any of this. Yeah, he pens, he pens this screenplay. And from what he says, you can take it that this is from Sonny's perspective, which is, I think, where we can file any of the discrepancies with Phil Knight and other people's versions of events. Mm-hmm. which works for the film because you need a hero in the film from what I gather of Sonny's character from most other people making this film, he wouldn't be the hero of it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it works for this. Damon obviously does it. It's kind of like Oppenheimer <laughs> in, in, in that way. There is probably like another version of this film that starts about halfway through or immediately after. And it's just a big power struggle with people taking credit for this empire Sonny being fired from Nike and probably him trying and failing to build up Adidas's division, which I don't know if you knew he goes to Adidas after he's fired. Didn't know he went to Adidas and he had obviously got fired. Yeah. That's, yeah. The thing with it is, is you kind of got to accept this is like, like, like you said, like a hangout film and it's not a factual, entirely factual thing. Only because an actual story about this would be a lot more mundane and sort of boring sort of admin stuff that you go, that isn't that interesting. And the only way they could have made it interesting was, like you said, to do a power struggle sort of succession style. And that doesn't work with the cast that we've got. No, I mean, could you imagine? Jesus. If they were all trying to play it straight. And uh, one of the like Nike historians or whoever that I was reading, they said, you know, if I was casting someone of a similar kind of level, Mark Ruffalo probably would have done a quite accurate job, they say, with the look and everything about it. But for what this film is, Damon is perfect. The script eventually makes its way to Damon and Affleck. He says they were quite upfront and said, we like what we've got. We are going to make some quite extensive changes to it. The cast we've got, we're going we're gonna to need some freedom with it. He said he was well aware that this could be one by the time it's made, it looks nothing like what he's done at all. And he said, at the end of production, Affleck took him to the side and said, he's going to receive sole credit for the screenplay when the film comes out. And he said, people did the same for him with Goodwill Hunting and they want to pay it forward because they realise what a tough business it is. 
And so he's now got jobs coming out of his ears and he was done for before that. He said this was just, he's in lockdown. There's nothing else for him to do. So he's just giving it another shot. He'd had it before where things have got close and they've just said, no, thank you. And he said that went a long way. And at the time- There's your underdog story. Yeah. Well, Damon and Affleck created a production company called Artist Equity. And their whole thing is working with Amazon and they're giving back to the people that work above and below the line, basically. And so when you know all of that, the film- has kind of another meaning to it. You can kind of understand what yeah, they're yeah. getting at with a lot of it, particularly with the the speech between uh, Sonny and Dolores at the end when they're saying, you know, this is just how the business works. And she says, well, that isn't how it has to work. Yeah, yeah. And so with this, it, yeah, again, they just seem like great guys. Really do. Ben Affleck, he makes 90 million this did cost, so it's not a small budget. All on the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. In terms of what it, is so if you, if people hopefully know what I mean, he makes this kind of solid mid-budget movie very well. Mm. He he quoted Clerks and he quoted um, Reservoir Dogs in that how you can make the most of your budget and just have people talking with talking, each other yeah, and yeah. make the most of all of that. He does bring in. Robert Richardson, who is a cinematographer that essentially just works with Scorsese and Tarantino. And so some contacts in the business. And this film does look about as good as it can look. You sure? Air and The Town are both five-star rated on my letterboxed for Affleck. And then Goodwill Hunting, we've already mentioned. Gone Girl, both of them I've given five stars as well. I really need to get on with Argo and Gone Baby Gone. Argo's good, but not quite as good as those in my... That's his Oscar. In my book. Yeah, yeah, I know. Odd one. And then, yeah, Gone Girl is just... He, since then, seems to have embraced what Fincher did in the make the most of the way people already perceive him. You're not going to change that and dial it in. Obviously, he has to play Phil Knight when you know what you know. Yeah. And I think from what I've said there, the message they're trying to bring out of the film I think that might be why he plays nice in the way that he does what do you mean in that he's this not, not dopey but he plays the the head of a, a big company in a way that you know yeah. he doesn't really appreciate what he's got they're having to say you know think of the people man and he's not really grasping that and they mock him a fair bit in this. Yeah, so I, mean, I think that's all he's trying to do. The, the, I mean, the meeting is laughing at him when yeah. he's gone in the meeting. <laughs> yeah. It's just one I'm, big I'm a, very, I'm a very busy man. <laughs> Billion dollar company. I sell 200 million shoes every year. <laughs> that's, By the way, I, I don't know if he does or not, but Affleck running is it was a tough experience. That's a big man <laughs> to be going for a jog. I think you can tell. I forget how big he is. Yeah, yeah. I've told I've told this story in here before. One of my favourite Affleck stories is him personally going to David Fincher to say that Emily Ratajkowski would be perfect for the role of the woman he has an affair with in Gone Girl. <laughs> what an absolute trooper! And he says he took that from the work he saw her doing in the uh, Blurred Lines video. I, yeah, I remember that story. Jesus, some guy. <laughs> what do you think of him in this film? He's money, isn't he? Because he gives a warmth and a sort of 
it makes him likable to Phil Knight, who you might think CEO of Nike is probably going to be a bit cold and distant. And typically, that's how that character would be. That Damon and them are going to him, going, "Look, we need this," and he's going, "I don't care. I'm not giving you this money. I'm in an ivory tower. I don't need to hear about this." And he kind of balances that with the. I've got to please the shareholders whether ultimately I'm going to bend to what you want to do. I'm going to listen to you. I'm yeah. going to back you. Um, which shows a really great side to him. I'm sure Phil Knight at various intervals did do that. If you look again, that's one thing you did take from his book is he did make certain decisions where he's sort of just backed the decision. And I'm sure anyone who's made that level of money probably does take a chance. So it's, he's a good band to that, but it doesn't become that, oh, look at what I did and look how I made this money. It's kind of, because I think it could easily be someone else coming into that role could try and steal the show here and try and make it about them. He's perfect sort of comic relief, but also can bounce off Damon when the the occasional bit that he needs to get more serious as well. He said, people have an idea of what the role of a director is. He said his role as a director for this film was essentially making sure everyone felt comfortable enough to just do what they do best. Yeah, a facilitator. He's playing holding mid, just making sure everyone can do their thing. And the character that he is, I think they're very careful at the end with what they include is the kind of what happened next. And so they give you how much money they made as as a company. They give you Sonny's success in winning the lawsuit to uh, give the likeness to the college athletes. They do miss out that they fall out very swiftly after this. Yeah. Which, yeah. if we got to the end and then they said, by the way, those two people that Fucking you just love as a double other. act. Doesn't yeah. really work, does it? No. So I, I respect it. As a film about men in rooms talking, characters' trustworthiness is essentially marked by how they talk about NBA stars whose legacies we're aware of in this film. <laughs> yeah. If you say... Yeah. You know, I like John Stockton. You know, we can trust you as a character. If you say, no, I wouldn't take him. I'd take this guy at number six who is a flop. Then we say, boo, get that character out. And this film probably belongs in a category with a social network, like you've said. Moneyball would be another one. Hmm. I think you can draw a direct comparison to the boardroom scene in Moneyball. Yeah, where yeah. they're explaining the strategy for the first time, and everyone else thinks they're crazy. And yeah, you've got these guys who are pitching it. What well, he says, and why do you think that? And he's like, oh, uh, I just, you know, and it's also so good because everyone's been in some sort of meeting as well, where you know the person is talking shit, but just <laughs> filling a void, and you love to go, well, why are you saying this? <laughs> yeah. Explain why, because, and then Damon just does it. It's. Uh, well, I, took, I took down something actually that I read this week, and they say air is closer to the light, and air is closer to the light and satisfying sensation of reading a Wikipedia article while shuffling through a good playlist. And <laughs> the energy it has, as you've said, you don't need to know too much. We can draw from what we see. If we had no knowledge at all, he doesn't know basketball. He knows basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They tell us in more ways than one. This guy's pretty good at his job, just not enough people know it. And we kind of can't, we kind of carve out this dream team, really, that everyone is just shooting at 100 by the end of it. What separates this for you, say, from the founder? Like, what would you say would you 
put this better? Would you put it worse? What would you say the differences are in how they do a kind of based on a true story film? I mean, I guess it is just the positivity of this film. It's infectious off all of them, even when you're supposed to be thinking, and I guess this is maybe a bit of a flaw with the film because you know Jordan signs with Nike. Because So the jeopardy of, oh, we're investing all this money. The, basically, the company is relying on the fact that he will do this. We're up against two giants and Adidas and Converse. The underdog story doesn't fully transpire from us because we know how it ends. So it's, like you said, very difficult for us to view Nike as an underdog. But at the time that they were, it was an up-and-coming well, the- business still. <laughs> so on that... On the- they've already made it. A large amount of money, as as, I, as Phil Knight references yeah. in the film. <laughs> we're already selling selling two hundred million shoes a year, and he's like, "But we've got to get this basketball division moving." <laughs> like, well, no, you don't. And he's also going. We have to lay off a third of the staff. So <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> you may even say half. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, you may say we've already laid off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. Um, yeah, just as you've referenced the Barclay reference, the there's Stockton a, reference. The thing with the founders, there's that constant feeling of a kind of doom in the air because you know this guy's a piece of shit who's fucking these guys over whereas on in air it's the opposite again with both of them because we know the outcome you're I guess you can never go in fully with blinkers on so you know this has a happy ending effectively you know the other one does not have a happy ending yeah there was more unknowns for me with with the founder and sure, I, but I know more well, about McDonald's than I know Michael Jordan, but I was so with <laughs> but, what you, yeah, yeah. But the only thing is, you know, this guy shafting them. I yeah. don't know anything else about the McDonald's story other than they got shafted. Yeah. I mean, so I basically it is a great film with this. You knew at the end, Michael Jordan was signs with Nike yeah. makes a mint so. with the founder. It could have been this guy goes down and these two people, they sell it to someone else or something. And I think there was just more unknowns with McDonald's and there's probably more intricacies. I didn't know about the buying of the land and that was the way they did it in. I think there's more scope with that story anyway, though, isn't there? This is effectively a a player signing a shoe deal, not to (laughs) reduce it. Well, at, at the time of writing that question down, one of the things I liked was what Air did with we already know what happens, so let's make you feel clever along the way and let's reference these things. And I complained at the time to Kieran when we did The Founder and I'd only seen the trailer of Air and it's when he's saying, eh, not sure about the name. And we know that the name is then iconic moving forward. That Another wink to, yeah, the, uh, to the audience. What I said that that wasn't around yet at the time of the film, but something like three buns that's never going to work for a Big Mac or something like that but I think there was maybe more restriction because of the way the McDonald's story goes in comparison to how this story goes yeah we don't see a Big Mac we don't see any we don't see some golden fries we we miss out on a lot I don't know the true involvement of Nike with this I don't know the true involvement of Adidas with this because... <laughs> I'm going to say not much. That's what <laughs> not I mean. give one for them. But I guess because there's truth in it, there's not a lot they can do would be my thinking. That must be... Yeah, I did think they played a bit fast and loose with some of it though. Because Nike have to have been involved for us to see the Jordan on screen. Yeah, yeah. So maybe they're encouraging it and maybe they... You know, we'll pay the fines. <laughs> we'll pay the fines if you... <laughs> we don't care how we come across. If you just call them Nazis, that'll be fine. Because... 
they don't dunk on Converse too much because they own Converse. Yeah, so yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Blackberry, definitely watch that. Mm. The scene with the shot is another excellent scene after the boardroom. Damon opens the scene saying, I found him, to which Bateman says, who, Jesus? <laughs> and we see the plays drawn up for him and we go through it. It's the only real basketball we see yeah, yeah. in the entire film. The only Michael Jordan you see. Yeah, there isn't a still image. So I don't want three guys. I want that guy. And he said, he does that. He has a very good loud whisper, Damon. He says, look at him. Look at how relaxed he is. The whole world's watching and he's doing that. And it's, the music is very good there. We've got the 80s music pumping through, but some of the soundtracks they use to just score things through mm. between that and the pitch are both very good. And we have, he doesn't wear the shoe. He is the shoe. There are times when it is kind of one long advert and I don't know if that was an issue for you or or not. Advert for the shoe or yeah, for Jordan? Yeah, the shoe, yeah. Because I was thinking at times like, I think Sonny thinks Michael Jordan might be able to like save the world because <laughs> yeah. he is so in on it. No, um, I've not asked you the uh, MCU question at the end yet, so <laughs> I might be where we're going. I did, the use of music makes that a powerful scene in the, I kind of was watching it thinking it feels a bit ridiculous to me that someone is going to watch a clip of Michael Jordan and then realise, oh, he's our guy. Like I, they reference Bateman references the fact we've all seen that shot. I don't know the the idea that he Sonny is looking at it and seeing his reaction off the ball as the reason why he's our guy. I, I don't that, know why that singular moment was the so one. So that is that is a a real Sonny Vicaro thing. Yeah, that he says he he says he has a hidden talent for spotting talent before other people. And he later says, I don't know, I saw it with Kobe and Tracy McGrady and all of this. And I don't know why he wasn't signed up as a scout if that was the case. Yeah, it, it just felt to me like, I I thought this was probably a real story as well. It just feels odd that that is the moment where you go, this guy is yeah. the guy. It's cool for the sake of a story. I thought you have it was a singular moment. all to tie in with the end scene where you see the cashier twice and the second time around he says, yeah, I knew he was going to be, everyone was, knew. That was perfect because, and Damon's little wry smile as he leaves the store is perfect because we've all... Because they quote the, the Blazers GM, don't they, when he's in the cashier, sees the cashier the first time. Yeah. And so maybe that's just what they're trying to drive home because obviously he he's the third pick. It isn't like... Yeah, that's why one of the things when you go like, like you spotted some unknown quantity. It's like, well, he was going to go top three. There's not- but then I guess if you asked most people, why do you think Michael Jordan went in the draft? Obviously number one. Mm, yeah, well, I guess the casual observer, it's kind of, it's notorious. The fact that he doesn't go number one is kind of the story, isn't it? And so then trying to, if you, you know, know half, get one you know and two, bit. they're unsurmountable. So this number three, we yeah. see what they don't basically. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Jason Bateman. He plays director of marketing, Rob Strasser. And Bateman really has made his mark as this kind of master of the dry banter, really. Yeah. yeah. And known really as a comedy guy for most of his career, but we've both watched Ozark and I took a step back. Like I knew you were good and I liked you already, but Jesus, like incredible. And he's kind of having to do a bit of both here. He plays... As much, he's, I would say he's the heart of the film. 
the I think he's the only guy that really has any jeopardy in the yeah, film. You are right though, yeah, yeah. Because And it kind of dawns on Dave on Damon's character, doesn't it, that he realizes oh yeah, I'm kind of playing with house money and this guy's life might be ruined by my decision-making. Because we do this thing in film where if you're divorced with no kids, then basically you run your race. So we're not worried about you. You're going to gamble anyway. You can die tomorrow. (laughs) It doesn't matter. But if Jordan doesn't get the Nike deal, he's getting the Adidas deal or the Converse deal or whatever deal. Phil Knight's still a a multi-millionaire. So the scene where he says... uh, Sonny says, I mean, if we're going to make it, we've got to take risks. And Strauss says, spoken like a man without a seven-year-old on a Sunday afternoon. And he tells a story about has to bring the Nikes for his daughter. And even if he, he's sacked here, he's still going to have to keep doing that because that's what they have between them and all of these things. So for me, he's the funniest in the film as well. But his his humor, just the little things he says makes me laugh the whole way through. But yeah, as I say, he's the heart of the film as well. That's probably the most touching scene in the film alongside Dolores Jordan accepting the deal, I would say. Yeah, I think when I think when Damon goes to visit her and gives a little speech on that, I think that's a genuinely emotional one as well. And it his I think an underrated emotional part of it is when he when Damon thinks they're not getting it and he looks around and he realizes he's gonna have to go and tell Bateman. It's obviously walking through the office and looking at these people, probably thinking you're all out of a job. Yeah, um, yeah, that was that was a good bit of filmmaking because obviously she then calls and all's good. Yeah, I watched a clip from his HBO show recently where he's taking his podcast on the road with Will Arnett, and he's basically he's been for a jog and he's saying he looks tired and he says, "Oh, what do I have?" hills on my eyes or something like that and Will Arnett says you know if they were making a film now it wouldn't be the hills have eyes it'd be the eyes have hills and Bateman (laughs) just really just blanks it and Will Arnett says you know that was all you and he says what can I say I'm a setup guy that's what I do and he says it like really like that and he's the he's like the perfect setup guy yeah he really is isn't he he's a false false nine for you yeah (laughs) I think uh, some of the quotes he has elsewhere, The one of the best bits of the trailer was when Sonny says, I can tell him the one thing the other companies can't compete with, our basketball division's fucking terrible. And he says, I do not love it. And that's just pure <laughs> that is pure payment, yeah. you are right, yeah. Him, him dropping the swimsuit edition on the table killed me. I'd forgotten <laughs> that it completely. And like, I paused, I, I found it that funny. <laughs> It felt like as well, everything was going so well there. Like that felt like it could just scupple the whole thing. Because suddenly they could be looking at it and go, okay, you're taking the piss now. I like the I like that the dad loves it. The dad's I mean, great. He comes across <laughs> brilliant. I don't have anything on him. As far as Michael Jordan's concerned, and they, they don't have to have his permission for anything. I know they consulted him. That's gotta be the most daring part of all, no? getting his dad right because his dad's not here to yeah. defend himself. Probably part of why they made him entirely like, and also why his mother took the front seat. Yeah, so Jordan speaks with uh, Affleck and Affleck kind of says, you know, what would you, how would you approach this? This is what we got, blah, blah, blah. And he says that Howard White has to be a part of it. And then he gets in touch with Chris Tucker. He says he's always wanted to work with. And Tucker's like, oh, I know. I know Howard. 
<laughs> and works from there. And he told him that Viola Davis should play his mother. Now, what a smash! If that is like you're wanting Messi to play for your football team, like yeah, you want that, that's yeah, yeah. also a very big collapse. Jump. Being like, yeah, you couldn't go for someone else. It's also, um, I know this is she, she does what she does, but it's a very good Viola Davis performance. Yeah, oh, brilliant! With what she has, she manages to convey range where there isn't much. She's like the strongest person in every scene she's in in terms of sheer force of personality whilst also being very likeable. Could easily be that this woman's just going in and bulldozing these guys in these meetings, but it's perfect level of sort of relatability whilst also, you know, she's basically fought for this for her son. Yeah. She's basically made this whole incredible deal happen. I wrote down at the time that I'd love a Bateman pep talk. Just very good at that. And I'm... Chris Tucker, the thing I wrote down was, I now only want my own office to have a basketball hoop in there. Yeah. That's the sole reason I want my own office. <laughs> He's living the dream. Chris Tucker's great in this. A good reminder of how great Chris Tucker is. I think, um, obviously, not as prolific as he once was in terms of the work. Um, Through choice for him. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, and, uh, yeah, nice little reminder for people. I like that Bateman has said this, Sandler has said this, People are always surprised when the great comedy guys are also great actors and they have to kind of point out comedy is one of the toughest things that you can do in terms of the timing, the delivering of it, having anyone take you as a character seriously after you've done certain things in the mm-hmm. film to keep the film afloat. Yeah, just give give more big roles to comedy guys and let's it's just difficult see though, how they do. When they are bad, they're really horribly bad is the problem. I think you kind of know... Pretty, who's pretty who? Well, it's maybe easy to say now because we've seen Sandler do it. I feel like you could see with Sandler, I don't see that you could watch, say, Big Daddy and not see that, okay, we could get something out of this guy. Hmm. But then I also see how I can watch, I could watch American Pie and maybe Jim's not getting too many serious roles. No, no, no. back of it. And sometimes people have tried to shoehorn comedians into roles and it doesn't work. I mean, it was the biggest show on TV for its time, but like the whole thing with Seinfeld is like Jerry Seinfeld can't act a lick and he's <laughs> he's never doing anything other than this because he can't act. He's a stand-up comedian who's being thrown into a role, being himself, being a version of himself. Yeah, on the underdog story, as we've said, impressive in the way that they do do it. I think it's it's particularly impressive because the Adidas and Converse corporations are there, but they largely just bank on us loving the characters that we're with so much that we don't really need a foil to pit them against. Like the agent is maybe the closest thing to it, and even he, we don't we don't take him seriously as like a big bad. We take him as like he's like sparring with Sonny. That's what I get to the point where he says, you know, we're too. Uh, middle-aged, overweight men. He's like, I'm not overweight. And then they, <laughs> yeah. they go back to I mean, like, the professional like relationship. He's uh, There's a lot of comparisons with Ari Gold, I felt, with his character. I, yeah, I literally did that. Of just the... Uh, kind of, is this guy an asshole? Oh, no, I find him hilarious. That perfect sort of balance. Jeremy Piven is still kind of saying, and I, I, I know times might be hard for him right now in terms of the roles he's getting. Yeah. 
he doesn't see why HBO haven't just commissioned Ari to have his own show where he's trying to take over Hollywood. And not many people like Jeremy Piven, I think is maybe yeah. the uh, answer to your question there, Jeremy. Because all of those entourage guys basically keep saying, give us some money and we'll we'll bring this back and appetite seemingly isn't there. Yeah, you've maybe given it just enough time now. Michael Jordan, so he, as I say, he said about bringing in Howard White, spoke about his mum being in there. Affleck, I think, plays it perfectly in that he's got a few lines of dialogue. His face is either obscured or facing away from the camera. We just see some archival footage. Affleck basically said he's so famous and I truly felt that if we ever saw an actor playing him, it would be hard to get the audience to suspend their disbelief because in my opinion, there's no convincing anybody that somebody who isn't Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah, I remember seeing an interview with them where they say, well, look, just to get out in front of this, Michael Jordan isn't going to be it. Someone, no one's playing him. The only person who can play him is Michael Jordan. He's in his 60s now, so we're not going to do that. Yeah, when people say, you know, there was no cameo. So we see it sometimes where there'll be something like, I think wasn't the real Donnie Brasco was in Donnie Brasco hmm. as an extra. And that works because none of us recognise him. And afterwards you can read, it's oh yeah, you know that trivia. guy that served them at a table? That was actually the real Donnie Brasco yeah. and yeah. the real Jordan Belfort at the end of Wolf of Wall Street and so on. You can't squeeze in Michael Jordan no. <laughs> to this film. No, exactly. They played it perfectly with the pictures next to a lot of the characters at the end. That was a, a good way of doing it. Did you know that was Viola Davis's husband playing James Jordan? I didn't. Yeah, oh, nice. She, I thought, was great in the key moments when, as you say, Sonny pitches to her in the garden. When the pitch gets sealed, I thought the exhale that she does when Sonny confirms they'll give them the equity is one of the best parts of the film and sums up kind of all of what we've been getting to. He's over the moon and she's like, oh, thank God, it's it's over, we've done it. It was brilliant, wasn't it? Because it showed she'd been real, obviously ballsy with what she wanted, but then she'd, she'd obviously had a bit of nerves about it as well because it's a big thing she's doing and she obviously knows it. But also, it's a great way of doing it that they obviously wanted it to work with Nike. She was obviously going to walk away from the deal, but she obviously wants them to be who he signs with. They do a great job of making Nike seem like, we said about an underdog story, but almost like a, a mum and dad business compared to these massive corporate giants of... Adidas and Converse were, whilst they were smaller than them, not quite, you know, a shot around the corner, really. But they did a great job of making you feel that way. Yeah, Jordan says that in reality, and they maybe touching this a little in the film, he says, he does go back to Adidas and say, if you get anywhere close to what they offered me, I'll still sign with I you. Bet, yeah, I bet he did. <laughs> he said, worked in everyone's favour. He said he doesn't even like the Jordan 1. Oh, really? He wow. said it was a bit too bold. But it would have been if everyone is wearing white. Well, you're They're literally like, paying a fine for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The quote from Dolores Jordan, every once in a while, someone comes along that's so extraordinary that it forces those reluctant to part with some of the wealth, forces those reluctant to part with some of that wealth to do so, not out of charity, but out of greed because they are so very special. It's and that's really the message they're driving the yeah. entire film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've broken the wheel. This was initially just going to go on Prime Video. They oh. did a couple of test screenings and they just couldn't believe the love it was getting. Bang like, decision. Yeah, let's... Because I think 
we saw it immediately because they basically we're doing a limited run of this. It's not going to be in cinemas long. Yeah, yeah. And it was in it was on Prime, I think, less than a month later. Because it didn't take long, did it? No. So great idea because I don't know if this would have hit the same for me at home. There's just something being in the cinema, the additional focus you have, the speakers, just everything about it, just the the full of cinema experience. It just yeah. feels it sounds stupid. Feels bigger. Feels yeah. bigger than it proper. Yeah, it's the you're never gonna have the same feeling. It's kind of like we say sometimes, where like a pay per view event in the boxing or UFC makes something feel bigger, even if it's the same product as you're getting on a normal Saturday night. It even feels bigger to me just being overnight, like early hours, feels yeah, bigger. For yeah, me. yeah. Let's talk about the pitch and the shoe itself. How did you like the unveiling of the shoe and everything that goes around that? Pretty perfect, wasn't it? How many Nike people do you think were on set when that scene was done? Have you got the answer to no, this? No, no. Yeah, I was going to say, probably a lot of worried uh, worried people knocking about. It's done very well. I like the play of them being unsure on the name, much like the boardroom scene. In the pitch, the cross-cutting with his career in the highs and lows, did you like that? Yeah, yeah, I liked it. I liked the uh, the awkward small talk from Bateman when they first <laughs> get in. <laughs> Obviously, we've spoken about Phil Knight just making the most transparent, oh, no, I'm late thing. It's kind of, the whole thing has basically been thrown out. Yeah. I was, is it a good idea that the CEO turns up late? I'm not sure no, that is a good idea uh, at no, all. No, I'm not any... And Bateman is the one that says, isn't he? No, it will just look like he's not very important <laughs> to you. Yeah. And when their whole thing is, well, look, Adidas or Converse, you're just going to be another guy. Here, you're going to be our guy. I don't. I think the CEO probably turns up on time. If yeah, in fact, Howard's late. I mean, <laughs> like, I mean they made that like a good thing. Like, he wasn't even supposed to be. He's got more charm than uh, Phil. He's probably. I mean, he turns up in the nick of time, doesn't he? Because Bayman's about to lose him. Yeah the the advert when they show it is just uncomfortable enough. It's pure Apprentice vibes when they do an advert where you're like, please, can somebody click stop? Thankfully, Matt Damon is there on hand. I I have to turn away from most episodes of Dragon's Den, but I also love a bad pitch. So, yeah, there's a fine line between where I go, this is cringe, and then this is nails down a blackboard. I can't look any anymore. Previously, Sonny telling Dolores how each pitch was going to go is very good. When you then see it happen in that same way. I mean, when he says, I can tell you exactly how they're going to pitch it, you know, okay, I'm going to be seeing this later. <laughs> yeah. Suddenly when he says he'll be wearing a Rolex, like, I know I'm seeing this man's watch. Yeah. yeah, the pitch, Damon just taps into something, something there. Yeah. I mean, because they all obviously react to it afterwards. They're like, oh, Sonny. <laughs> and it kind of feels like the actors are all going, geez, Matt, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. you went full Goodwill hunting on us. Yeah. There has been a lot of historical debate as to who came up with the Air Jordan name between David Falk and Peter Moore. And so they do it quite perfectly in here. Both of them come up with it thinking they're first. And they kind of just laugh at Falk and being like, oh, well, we'll give it to the other guy, sorry. Yeah, Chris Messina as Falk, that's uh, making the most of what you've got. Oh, every moment he was on the screen, he was cooking. He didn't, he didn't let up for a second. No, when... He's kind of settled, and then Damon says, one more thing, see you Monday, and he, <laughs> he just starts flying off again. <laughs> Have you seen that clip recently of the guy cracking an egg with a spoon? 
No. Okay. You'd have known if you had. But he says to this old guy, why are you cracking egg with a spoon? And he just starts ranting. And then he stops and he just starts ranting again without <laughs> any prompt. And it is just like that. I feel like they let him on one of the, certainly on one of the calls to start free weed and do what he wants because Damon is cracking up in a sense that <laughs> yeah. I don't think you were expecting it. I think at one point he's saying like, I'm going to eat your nuts. I'm going to eat your nuts. And Damon is just like, this is insane. Yeah, it's like um, Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like fully losing the plot. All right, let's get to the... Uh... with um Before the uh, pitch, by the way, where Phil Knight gives them like, a little pep talk. Do you think Arteta watched that and thought, I'll do, I'll do one of these. Yeah. Actually, I'm right, it's done. Let's get to the awards. So, MVP. Uh, it's David, isn't it? So, start, yeah, start of the film, David. MVP, Sonny. Yeah. Best moment scene for you? I think it is, I'm caught here, because it's probably the pitch to to the Jordan family when they get them in there top to bottom but the initial thing when the the blokes are in a room and Dame is just pulling his hair that's out that's my pick is I think as a comedy is just hilarious best quote I love the betting one I also liked uh, Bateman saying you know Sonny sometimes the most you can do is all you can do I like that <laughs> yeah but that's also so like that character isn't it yeah you tried your best <laughs> yeah I just like I like Bateman there's another Batemanism um, I mean, there's so much. Who is it that says the line about "just do it" was about a convict's last words? So that someone's is... telling that to Damon, isn't? Yeah, is it Bateman? I think it is. Yeah, because that's the delivery of that. Because then, now that is where you say about the cutting room floor. Because Damon just turns and he's like, seriously, <laughs> and it's just, that look is just such a perfect. Like if someone told you that, it's exactly how my, you would. And be. my favorite thing is the end of that, and he's like, well, I don't know why you'd lie about it. Why would you make that <laughs> yeah. up? And that there's so many stories that are like that. Well, why would why would that be a thing? We won't go into them on here, but we've spoken before about stories that went around your school, stories that went around my school, and. That's you know they're random. not true, but it's also like, well, why, why would someone make that up? And also, who was the first person who made it up and why did it spread? <laughs> yeah. Why did everyone take it on face value? Um, and same with the uh, Bateman, his great just nonsense small talk chat that happens all the time when he's talking uh, to him about born in the USA and just ranting about how I've been listening to this and I didn't really listen to it. How many times have people had a conversation where you're like, oh, I didn't know what that song was about? I've I was thinking something like, I don't know, like pumped up kicks and be like, oh, I didn't realise, I've been singing along to this, I didn't realise what that was about. I've got an issue with that. Until though. people did obviously know what it's about. Because when you have that scene in there, the end scene where they play Born in the USA, yes. feels like they're playing it very literally, like, um, not literally, so at the va- face value. It's a good point. I thought they potentially could have gone with a different song there. Yeah. Because... They obviously highlight, okay, this is quite a serious song, not just like a patriotic thing. And at the end, when you're having this feel-good moment, they play so it. Then use but maybe song, that's yeah. a, a laugh at our expense as well, though, because you are still having a buzz off this film. Again, I love yeah. this, yeah. whilst that song's playing. So maybe it's a final laugh at us. Oh. I mean, you, if, in terms of quote, you can have anything that's vaguely Nazi-related with... <laughs> live uh, Adidas <laughs> it's a shit show over there since Adolf died and it's like he's literally his, his name was Adolf he's literally it's like he was 80 he was Addy <laughs> full coming to defend it so, like, we've all got a pass he's like yeah we've all got a pass <laughs> we're all <laughs> the youth <laughs> yeah that's great um, 
Would you rather add Brendan Fraser, Miles Teller, or Bill Murray to this movie? Oh. It's a tough... I I went Miles Teller as Falk, and I was really struggling as to who I could take out elsewhere. I get... I would have... Oh, it's a cop-ass. I'd have Miles Teller as one of the regular guys who didn't know where Gonzaga was or whatever. <laughs> I'd have someone like that. I don't think the film improves... Could Brendan Fraser do Bateman? Yeah, but could he be like... Not even to like, the same level. Could he be 1% as funny as Bateman no, is, is no. it? I don't think he could, could he? Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, we've got one real female role in this film and Emma Stone, Molly Ringwald or Julianne Moore. Don't, don't <laughs> Going to really, be a tough one. <laughs> don't really fit in as Dolores Jordan. And it feels underwhelming them unless it's maybe Molly Ringwald in 2023 to play one of the secretaries. <laughs> Or the one that isn't the secretary. That's great, isn't it? <laughs> if you had to make a spin-off movie about a side character from this film, who would it be about? Michael Jordan might be a... <laughs> that guy, Michael Jordan, might be a good one. <laughs> and I feel it may be the easiest in the gift shop based around this film. What's the highest selling item? Yeah. <laughs> Jordan's. Yeah, slightly. Would this be better being remade as a Black Mirror episode in addition to the MCU or The Nice Guys 2? Maybe a Black Mirror episode about capitalism could be uh, something, but Michael Jordan would have been a great successor to Thanos in the MCU, so maybe this is his origin story. Yeah, I think it's, it probably is pure pure MCU. But Damon and Affleck in the uh, sort of the nice, guy mold, <laughs> nice guy's mould. <laughs> yep, yep. The next best thing to what they got. Well... I think that just about does us for this week. There will be a pod next week. I don't know who it's going to be with, but there will be someone, maybe Keenan, it may be Goff. Who knows? I can't even tell you what film it's going to be, but maybe that's part of the fun. Your timeline next Friday, midnight, there will be an episode. Tune in for that. Even if you don't like it, press play. But see you then. Adios.